God, may you speak to us and may we listen. And Lord, after we listen, may it cause us to move into action. Lord, because we can't just be hearers of the word, but we need to be doers. So God, lead us to be people obedient to what you call us to do today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There's these two groups from England that got an opportunity to go to Germany and play music. Uh, they had kind of moved from place to place, and, and they would play. And as time went on, one of the groups was kind of emerging, while the other was just kind of really a second act. The only problem was with the first group, one of their members was sketchy at best. Sometimes they'd show up, sometimes they wouldn't. Their attitude was always off. It didn't really fit with the band. And so their manager of both groups plucked the drummer out of one group and placed him in the other. And the rest is music history. Because on that date, that drummer joined the Beatles. And Ringo Starr changed the sound of the Beatles forever. You ever wonder what it would take if we could go, hmm, if you could take the best of church world from this group and the best from that group, and you could pair them all together, what would a church look like if they had the best of all groups? You know, the best of this particular ministry, the best of that one, maybe that best member, maybe that best staffer, if you could put them all into a, like one place at one time, what would it look like? And you know, the funny thing about it is this, God delights to build churches like that. However, he's going to use us to do it. How do I know that? Remember, we started in Romans 12 last week. We read that because of God's mercies, we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. This is our spiritual act of worship, that it, it moves us from being ordinary to unordinary, to extravagant, to pursuit of God. And today we're going to talk about what it looks like when we all put our whole selves into God. What happens to a church that does that? What happens if a church all at one time goes, we're all in? We're all in, and, and we're going to pursue Jesus with all we've got. What does it look like? It looks like Romans chapter 12, 3 through 8. So let's read it together. It says this, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has demonstrated a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individual members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If in teaching, teach. If in extorting, extortion. Giving, uh, exoneration, probably giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. I want to just start from the back and work forward, if you will, today. Let's look at what these gifts say they are, and then let's go back to why we all have to have this together. So the first is this, prophecy. Prophecy is to speak forth. It is to let people know the truth of the Word of God. It is to get the Word of God out, to declare it. Certainly we could see this in terms of 
preachers and teachers in our church. But it has to go beyond that. We have to have it prophesied beyond the walls of the church. We need the gift of prophecy. But it doesn't stop there. It also says the gift of ministry. We get this root word in ministry. It has the same root word as deacon or servant. This ministry is someone that would serve diligently. I believe that this is maybe the most unseen gift in the church, but maybe the most needed inside of the church walls. There's people that I could sit here and tell you about that I believe possess this gift wholeheartedly. You know how you know that they possess it? As a staff, we sit down and we'll say, we want to plan this out. Who should be a part of it with us? Who should we call in? Who should we bring into a meeting to talk about this? And there's certain names that always rise to the top. It's not because we don't want to call everybody in the church. It's just that we know no matter what we do, this handful of people is always going to show up no matter what. I bet you could think of them. If you just kind of went back in our calendar from today to the first of the year, the people that you would say every time you show up at any event in the life of our church, any worship service, any event, vacation Bible school, disciple now, you name it, they're always there. That's the gift of ministry. But it doesn't stop there. It says teaching. This is to clarify or explain the truth of God's word. This is someone that would not just share the truth, but explain the truth. They break it apart into smaller pieces so that you and I can digest it. We need to not only know what it says, but know how to apply it in our lives. That's that hearer and doer mentality. And if you've struggled with doing the things of God, you need to be taught. This is the fallacy of Christian faith, that we believe that people will just hear and instinctively do. No, everybody plays the same game of follow the leader. We need people that show what it looks like. Teachers are doers. They're people that model it. You ever tried to put up a tent without the instructions? You know, you can't do it without somebody showing it to you. But once you've seen it, you can do it. So this is exactly what teachers do. They don't only teach you, they show you. But listen, it's also in, in this exhorting, this ability to call others to obey and follow God's truth. It is a, come on, let's go together. Jesus did this with every disciple. He said, let's go. Join the journey. Come on the path. Follow me. Paul does it to the church when he says, if you need a model, model after me. He knew he was broken. But he calls the church to follow because he knows that everybody needs a few things in their life. They need a teacher, they need a prophesier, they need ministry, they need teaching, and they need someone to say, come with me. Here's the next one, giving. And this is sacrificial sharing. Now, I want to explain this because many people say, ah, oh, that's why when the offering plate comes, I don't give. I don't have that gift. That's not this gift at all. These are people that, have you ever heard somebody say, that guy would give you the shirt off his back? That's a giver. We see these people in our society that, that just have that gift of, if you have a need, I'm going to meet it. I believe in the early church when they gave to those in need, there was one of these people at the forefront of that. Saying, did you know that so-and-so needs something? Who's got it? 
Hey, do you know that so-and-so has a need? Let's meet it. You see, givers call people to action. They're the people that see injustice in our world and say we can fix it. I don't know if your kids grew up when mine did, but we grew up with people like Handy Manny and Bob the Builder. And both those guys said the same thing all the time, that they could fix it. They could build it because they gave. Y'all remember in the story, they never got paid. Y'all ever wonder that? Both of those guys never got paid for what they did. They just gave. It was a calling for our kids to find a giver and follow after them. And I believe somebody in this room has that gift, that they see the world differently than we do. They see it with different eyes. Craig on our staff, he's our administrator, he's colorblind. And I started to think about that for a while, how differently my world looks than Craig's. Um, A while back on his birthday, his family gave him those sunglasses where it, it helps you see colors. And we were there for his birthday party, and he put them on, and we were all going, and he went, okay, what am I supposed to be seeing? And, oh, we were just so, oh, we were demoralized. We are like, oh, no, we wanted you to see colors, and all his family's holding colorful balloons, and he's like, yay, I see nothing there. And as time has gone on, they've kind of changed how he sees the world, though. You see, givers help others see difference, and they change their world. That's why we need givers. The other is leading, and this is to guide others. It's the point down the road. These are sages. Um, These are people that have said, I've been down that path, and I can promise you, you don't want to go in those shoes. Leaders are people that walk past before people so they can guide them adequately. You ever followed somebody down a road they've never been down before? It's awful. Lots of stops, lots of starts, and you're like, are we ever going to get there? But somebody that knows how to get there, when you follow them, it just seems easier, doesn't it? That's leaders. The last is this, mercy. And it's in showing sympathy and sensitivity. It's people that see our hurting world and their heart breaks for that. It's showing sympathy and sensitivity. It reminds us of Jesus when he's walking towards Jerusalem and he mourns for it. Oh, Jerusalem, that you would understand what's being given to you. Mercy is the ability to see the need and to mourn with it. You see, when givers and mercy people show up together, they not only meet the need, they love people through it. Have you ever met anybody that was handing out something they didn't want to be at? Like it's hot outside and they're giving away snow cones and they hate being there. And so people go, oh, snow cones. And they go, just take it. Just take it. See, they're meeting a need, but they're not showing any mercy. Mercy is the person that takes the snow cones to the people. Would you like a snow cone? It's a hot day, man. You just grab one of these. They're awesome. See, when all of these gifts meet up, all of a sudden the church changes forever. All of a sudden it becomes what it's always supposed to be, led by God, full of faith. So now let's go back to the first of the scripture. 
Now that we've looked at what these look like, now that we've seen them play out, now let's look at the Roman church. Romans scattered all amongst this region. As this letter goes out, it's to encourage them, it's to equip them. We've given them the whole list of how God has been merciful, even though they feel the the tension of being persecuted for their faith. I mean, these are people that when they show up to church, they don't know if they're going to get to go home. And Paul writes them, God is so good, isn't he? God has done so much, hasn't he? Isn't God worth serving? And in Romans 12, he goes, because of that, let's give everything to him, even if we die. Let's give our whole bodies towards him. Let's dive in with him, because he's worth it, isn't he? And the Roman church would have gone, yeah, he is. And he goes, okay, now that you agree with me, let me show you what happens when we all give ourselves to God. It says this, for by the grace given to me, Paul's just agreeing with what he said, I tell everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he should think. So he's saying is this, you guys are going to go around and you're going to say, you know, I've got a mercy heart. And I don't know what you got, but I know that I'm better than you. Oh, really? Well, I'm a giver. <laughs> I give away. I'm so good. The next person goes, well, <clears throat> who wears the microphone on Sundays? <laughs> the next guy goes, yeah, but who turns on the microphone? Ha, ha, ha. He knew what we would be like. He knew that as soon as we saw the end of the list, we would start to evaluate who was better. Because that's what we do. Because as much as we know that God gives us so much, we're always going to check our spiritual bank accounts to see who has more. And it's the problem with us and God. We never are content with what he gives us. We never learn to love him for what he's given us and the path he's put before us. We always want somebody else's. We all want to be Billy Graham. We all want to be able to stand in in arenas and lead people to Christ. We all want to be Jimmy Phillips, who's led thousands of people to Christ by God's grace. We all want these abilities. We, we all want to be servants like Jesse Solomon in our church. I mean, don't you feel it? We all want these paths. And God goes, quit looking at paths and look to me. I've got you where I need you. You just have to show up. Because if everybody looked like Billy Graham, there would be no Billy Graham. We need people to show up that look like you with the gifts that God's given you, and we need to quit evaluating which one of these was better. We just need to show up and serve together and reach a lost world. So Paul's saying, okay, listen, I want you to think sensibly, verse uh, 3 says, think sensibly as God has demonstrated a measure of faith to each one. God has given enough faith to each one. He knows what he's doing. Don't get lost in this. God knows how he's gifted you and why. And he wants you to use that gift. Use it boldly. Use it rightly. Use it humbly. And verse 3 says, now, here's the rub of all of this. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members what does it say? Of one another. 
a local body of believers belongs to one another. It says, why we're not a gym? A gym that I belong to, no one cares that I show up to the gym except for the guy that I send my monthly dues to. That's the only guy that cares that I show up. No one's calling me and saying, hey, Kyle, I miss you at the gym. Um, Are you healthy? No, no, no. But if I miss my bill, I'd get a call, wouldn't I? Hey, Kyle, you haven't paid your bill. And I believe that we believe that the church is a gym that only cares that we show up and give at the offering time. A church doesn't work that way. A church works when you show up and you serve with your gifts. How do we meet the needs of this world? How do we, how do we find lost people and bring them to our church and show them Jesus? It happens when you and I show up with our gifts. It happens when you and I show up with all the measure of faith that God's given you. So when you don't show up, we look like somebody that has broken parts. You ever been around somebody with broken fingers or toes? I mean, they can function. This can't function at 100%. How about this one? You ever been around somebody with a broken knee or hip or shoulder? It it makes a difference, doesn't it? When our parts break down, we can't function correctly. We can't do the things we were always supposed to be doing. And here's what happens When we break down like that, we need help. And when a church is missing its people, when they're not there to serve alongside one another and call people into the gift they're given, if all we are is prophesiers and we don't see the gifts of giving, we're going to miss something. If we're all people who are leaders but we don't have anybody doing the ministry, we're missing something. If we have all these gifts but don't have mercy... Man, our world is going to see a church that's incorrect. We need each other. We have to plead for each other to show up. We have to yearn to be around one another. Here's why. Because if we look like a lost world, we have lost. The church should be an active body. Connected to one another. Holding on to one another, equipping one another, encouraging one another. And when a world says the church is dying, we say, not us. All the statistics are declaring today that the church of Jesus Christ will die in the next 20 years. They're saying we're going to have such a downtick in numbers in church world that churches will continue to close. And they do. I was just reading an article the other day about One of the stores that's in our community, Barnes & Noble, so it was just bought out by a British investor. And he's talking about how to renovate the store and how he's got all these ideas to reestablish books as a medium that people need. I started thinking about it. Do we look like something that needs a restart? How do you restart a movement that started long before we were here? It's like trying to stop a boulder rolling downhill. I'll tell you how you restart. When God's people go, I'm needed not because the church says I am, but because I know Jesus says I am. I show up not because I just particularly like the guy I'm sitting in the pew next to. Go ahead and look at him. You don't like him. Um, Don't don't look around, y'all. Come on. (sighs) 
The third is, I don't show up to worship anybody but Jesus. But when I show up, this person's sitting next to me and that person's sitting next to me. Together, we're going to take on the enemy. There's no more singularities in faith. We're a body of believers for a reason. We need each other. We belong to one another and we care about one another. So, before we go any further in the sermon, I'm going to ask you a question today. Who's missing? Who has sat in your pew with you that is not here? So I want you to do me a favor in your notes. I want you to write down their name. Just write down their name. They, they may just be missing this Sunday, but that's okay. I want you to write down their name anyway. Look around the room. Who's missing today? Just write down their name in the notes right there at the bottom. Now I want to give you a challenge. Don't let the sun set without making contact with them. Don't let it go down. If it means on your drive to lunch today, you're going to make a phone call, make it then. If it means you're going to make that note in your cell phone, make it now. But do not wait. Let somebody know, I missed you today. You know why? Because we belong to each other. It matters when you're not here. It matters to me. It matters to my family. And we need you. Here's why. I don't have what you have. And you don't have what I have. But together, we're the body of believers that meets at Quail Creek. And it matters. It matters. So let's make it matter today who's missing. Make that phone call. Let them know. Because it matters. So let's go to your notes to finish. I believe that Paul writes that you can be no more or less than God created you to be. You can be no more and no less than God created you to be. He's not asking you to be more. He's certainly not asking you to be less, but he's asking you to show up and be you and use the gifts and abilities that he has given you. You can be no more and no less than God created you to be. The funny thing about it is in your lifetime, God knows your outcome. He knows all the plans he has for you. And he knows the ones you'll never meet. He knows how great of a success your Christian walk will be or how great a failure it's going to go down in flames. And he knows your outcome so you can be no more, no less than God knows that you're going to be. He knows my failures. He knows my successes. And he never counts my successes as my good or my failures as my bad. All he can see in me is I am bought by the blood of Christ. You can be no more, no less than God created you to be. Second, we cannot function as the body of Christ if we all act the same. We cannot function as the body of Christ as we all act the same. Paul later writes, what if the ear decided it no longer wanted to be an ear? Or an eye, no longer an eye. What if you woke up tomorrow and you went to step on the ground and your eyes were located on the bottom of your feet? Because they wanted to be heels. It would be an uncomfortable world. And that is exactly what Paul's saying when people show up and they all try and become something they're not. Instead, they should show up and be the people that God called them to be and show their hearts and vulnerability to God and vulnerability to one another. A church should be the most vulnerable place on the planet because it is all wrapped up in a fortress of God. But when we come in this room, you shouldn't have to hold your burdens in. You shouldn't have to hold your failures in. You should let them out. They should be gone. 
You should leave out of here with freedom because it's not about a preacher that stands in front of you saying, well done. It's about a holy God that can forgive your sins and distance them from you and then set you back on a path of righteousness. Church should be vulnerable. But we're not because we believe if we're vulnerable, someone will know who we are. It's exactly what Christ wanted the church to be. For people to be known. For people to be vulnerable and then for people to show up with their hearts. When I was in elementary school, we all had to do the same thing. We all made Valentine's boxes. And you made Valentine's cards out to everybody in your class. But there was a few, wasn't there? I don't know about you, but in my world, there was at least a couple of girls that I wrote an extra letter to. Like most of it was from Kyle. Folded, sticker, set it back. But then there was those two honeys in class. That you're like, with love from Kyle. Ah, Shakespeare. And you would, you would go by and you know, you'd see the boxes and you'd be like, okay, that one's for you, that one's for you, that one's for you. And if she doesn't like it, that one's for you. You know, you'd drop them in and then you'd get yours from them. They'd always say the same thing, wouldn't they? From Ashley. Well, you're not getting another one next year. From Samantha. No love. No love, Samantha and Ashley. Okay. You're not cheating off my papers anymore. Uh, you know, you would always do the same in this hopes that someone would love you. And maybe that's your, your, your time with the Lord as you've shown up to church, you've shown up to revivals, you've shown up to camps, you've shown up to all these things with these love notes to God, and you've said, God, I love this church so much, don't you love me back? And you haven't got it because you gave it to the wrong person. Because I know that every Valentine's Day for me, I go buy a card and I sit down and I think, okay, this year, how can I write something that my wife actually goes, well-written? So I go, to my love, you're beautiful beyond measure, smart beyond capacity. You are brilliant in every way. Your husband, Kyle. Because I have to write my name just in case she doesn't know I wrote it. <laughs> Hand it to her. She does this number. That's nice. Thank you. I'm like, I wrote four lines in there. I poured my heart out, but you know what I get back? A letter. Signed, your wife. All those times of coming in and bring my Valentine's Day cards to people that would never write me back. All these times of trying to be my best and show off and to You'll prove that I was somebody in church world or youth group or collegiate group or, you know, going through classes and, you know, always trying to be somebody. And finally, I figured out that the only person I have to write to in my faith is God. I don't show up here on Sundays to worship Grant Keith or a great praise team and orchestra and choir. I don't show up to worship alongside you, really, even though I love that. You see, because even if you didn't show up on Sunday, I would. I'd sit there in my pew and I would worship Jesus. Because I finally figured out that's the card I need to write. It takes away everything about what I want, what I need, what I desire. And when I show up, you may not think this. 
But when I show up, you need me here. Not because I preach. But because I belong to you. And I need you here. Not because you sing. Not because you tithe. Not because you fill a pew. But because I need you here. Because you belong to me. When I was growing up, every day I sat down and I listened to a man named Fred Rogers. Tell me that he loved me just the way I was. And every Sunday you have a Savior in heaven who sits down and says, I want you to know something. I created you just the way you are. And I want you to be who I've always created you to be. All the gifts that God has given people are needed to make his name known. You exist to make his name known. Because he made you for him. Because you belong to him. And you know what? Whether you know it or not, he wants to belong to you too. You see, we don't serve a God who sits in high places or is made out of stone. We don't have to wear fainting necklaces or go on pilgrimages. We don't have to pray in a certain direction or serve on a mission tour. We have to start just like Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says. Give our whole selves to him. And in return, he will give his whole self to us. When the Beatles were on tour, people questioned why Ringo Starr would leave his group, who was a good group, to go join three boys from Liverpool and playing with them. Two guys that wrote and sang all the songs. One guy that was way too young to be in a traveling band. And him, who was way too old to join youngsters. He was ridiculed. Whether we like to believe it or not, for most of his playing career, he was pushed aside as the worst drummer in all of rock. But not today. Today he's gone down as a legend. And maybe you felt pushed around, ridiculed, too old. Too far gone, too sinful, too worn, too uneducated in faith to give your life to Christ. I'll just tell you this. If scripture is true, and I believe it's true, there is no one too far gone. No one too beat up, no one too pushed aside. And listen, there is one aim. If we are a body of Christ we would pray that everyone in it would know Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? Have you given your life over to him and said, I need you desperately? If today you've never done that, I want to invite you into that relationship. Here in just a minute, you're gonna, we're going to pray, and as we're praying, our praise team's going to come. No confusion in that. You're going to hear him moving. If you want to look up, you can, because there's really nothing fancy about closing your eyes and bowing your head. But I want to encourage you with this. Don't waste these moments. Don't waste these next few moments with Jesus. Maybe you came today and you did come to worship a person, a place, a history. I don't know. Maybe you just came and you didn't know what to expect. My prayer is in these next few moments as we worship, you'll turn your attention to Jesus. And today, if you don't know him as Savior and Lord, myself, John, Dale, we would love to talk to you about what it means to follow after Jesus Christ. 
I'm going to give you one more. Every so often I ask my deacons and their wives, if they so choose, they can come up and, and stand and meet with people. Maybe you don't want to talk to a man. Maybe you'd like to talk to a woman this morning. Come find one of our deacons and their wives and talk to them. So there should be no excuse today why you couldn't find an opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus. Let's be the body God created us to be. We're one. We belong to one another. Let's act like it. Father in heaven, I pray, God, that you would speak over our lives. God, in these next few minutes as we spend time with you, we want to be changed by you. God, we recognize that we live in a day and a time where it seems like everybody's down on church. But God, we realize that it's not about a building to us. It's not about a time of day, but God, we're a church because we belong to one another. We take care of one another. People matter to us. So God, may we live our lives in such a way that shows that we love each other. May we use the gifts you've given us diligently. Lord, created us in such a way that we, we fit together like a puzzle, but we all have a part to play in the greater picture. God, would you lead us? Lord, I pray today that if there's someone that has not given their life to you, that today would be their day. They wouldn't leave this room without it. God, that they would search for you. God, that they'd be so willing that they would jump up and say, I want to know Jesus as my Savior. God, give them the boldness to do so. And God, give them the obedience to do so. Lord, we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Why don't you stand with us? We're going to worship. Here's your chance. Don't miss it with Jesus.